Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Welcome to the Mystic Order Podcast. I'm the queen of the mystics. I'm Gail. And I'm Margie, the mystic illuminator. And I'm Joanne, the mystic defender. And in the defense of the three mystics who are not here today, um, Katie is off with her husband, which is a good thing. Um, Marianne was having a little problem with allergies, and she decided not to be sniffing and snorting during our, our podcast, so she is not here. And Mary, whose podcast we're going to do today, is off with her grandbabies, and there can't be a, a more wonderful thing or place to be. So we're half the mystics, and I've been nominated to take over for Mary because our subject today is notebooks, hey. and um, I don't keep a notebook, so it's kind of odd that I'm taking over for Mary. Mary keeps a copious notebook, and a little later in the podcast, I'll read to you about my not keeping a notebook. But we have got Margie, and we've got Joanne and Mystic Gale, so half of us are absent. And I think those of us that are here, I have kept a notebook, but I never do it consistently. I always remember is Mary, that one of the first times we met, she was talking about how she keeps a little notebook in her purse at all times just to hear those little tidbits of um, speech or conversations. And I will always remember, this is crazy, but she said that she remembered sitting in a sub shop or someplace, a dinner shop, and that she heard some lady who was angry about her order going up, and Mary wrote this down, and she told the waiter or the waitress, I read name tags. Now, this is a crazy thing, but it was something that stuck in my mind, and I think that's why some people do keep a notebook, to get those little tidbits of conversation that I, you... I totally don't understand this. They were in a sub shop? You were in a subway shop. Oh, a subway shop. A subway shop, eat? and Mary is overhearing this conversation, and she said this big lady got up, was angry with her order being not right, and went over there to complain about it, and then told the server... I read name tags. Is that all she could read? That's all. Well, <laughs> She's taking her been. name. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just such an unusual thing for anyone to say that she put it down in her journal. She, the big lady, put it? No, Mary. Okay. Mary, Mary put it down in her journal. Yes. Well, and that I, was I read name tags too. Right. Well, <laughs> but did you write that down in your journal? <laughs> well, there's the problem with the gale. Uh, and of the three of us here, I will say that the person who journals the most is Margie. And I really enjoy seeing her journals when she comes back from Italy or Vietnam. Margie, Thank you, Gail. Margie, yeah. why do you keep a journal? Well, I've kept uh, a sketchbook journal, and I combine those because I'm a visual artist. 
really my high school art teacher, Mrs. Katie Koleski, who was the most wonderful art teacher, encouraged us all to keep a sketchbook and encouraged us to draw every day. And so I started doing that in high school. I probably did it before because I love to draw, but not in a kind of form like that. And I've continued it my whole life, sometimes more diligently than others. But I've used it to record observations, to just draw for pleasure, to practice my drawing, to prepare for teaching. It always seemed a more interesting way to do kind of research is to write it down, draw it. I remember being in high school reading Dante's Inferno and I drew the stages of hell so I could remember them. And I drew people that I hated in each stage <laughs> <But the laughs> of hell. And that's the wonderful thing about being an artist. <laughs> and my English teacher saw it and she said, well, that's quite creative. <laughs> well, this, this is a total aside, but uh, it doesn't have anything to do with notebooking. But I have a friend who has a Christmas tree with pictures of people she hates on them. So should the people I hate Christmas tree. Well, maybe maybe that's a form of her journaling. Well, my, my friend, uh, Mike Hall, who's a professor of English, used to have a burning in effigy party every February. <laughs> and we would all bring whoever we wanted to burn an effigy, just a little image of them, and have it in his backyard, which was filled with um, planter toilets. He would take old toilets and use them as planters. Well, they're going to be the only thing left after the great apocalypse anyway. <laughs> right. So might as well have something growing in them. Absolutely. Well, and we, as we've said, Mary is a, a big journal keeper. And um, she gave us a word to, to go by hypergraphia. And that is the compulsion to write things down. Although I think I do have a little hypergraphia unfortunately mine is not trained as well as margie's and mary's i keep journals for a while and then i fall off and then i keep them for a while longer and i fall off mary also gave us this wonderful essay by joan didion yes i'll say it uh -huh. right on keeping a notebook and she wonders why she keeps one as well but she like mary keeps those little tidbits of interesting conversation or a snapshot of somebody, I think one of them was a lady walking out of a shop with a mink, and she said that how that the skins were not quite to her liking. And how she knew that, I don't know, but... The first, the first like sentence of that uh, on keeping a notebook by Joan Didion, uh, she she's reading something from her notebook and it said that woman Estelle, the note reads, is partly the reason why George Sharp and I are separated today. And then she puts dirty cryptochine wrapper, hotel bar, Wilmington, 19 railroad station, 1945, August Monday morning. And then she goes, I have no idea. Why what that was that. about but it was supposed to be have been you know and then she kind of remembers so I think but what a great scenario to start a short story even yeah yeah well what are some of Joan Didion's books what you I've want read, us to I've read, read a literary memoir I, I, that I've was quite a, depressing I've read a bunch of Joan Didion but I can't remember she what. wrote one a very poignant one uh, well this is from slouching towards Bethlehem the white album the white album Salvador mm -hmm. Miami, After Henry, Political Fictions, Fixed Ideas of America Since 9-11, yeah, and Where Was I From? Margie, one thing about your being so involved in your sketch pad 
mm-hmm. journals is you're an artist. And we mentioned earlier before we actually turned the mics on that Frida Kahlo yes. did hers and did a notebook. And a lot of the paintings she did in her notebook turned out to be the start of bigger pieces of art. Right. Uh, She kept a journal the last 10 years of her life, and um, it's published. It's called Frida Kahlo, an Intimate Self-Portrait by Carlos Fuentes. And the journal is quite beautiful because it's her actual journal, you know, 10 years of journaling, which is drawings and thoughts reproduced, and then in Spanish and then translated into English. Ah. And if you remember one story from that that I really thought was very interesting, if you remember her painting The Two Fridas, do you guys remember that one of her, the heartbroken Frida after Diego left and then the whole Frida? Left for her sister. Yes, for her sister. He was quite a creep. <laughs> but um, she, you know, pers- she hung in there. But the story she writes about the two Fridas, because I always heard it explained, you know, the happy and the sad Frida, when she was a little girl, she writes that she had an imaginary friend. And she would um, sit in her garden, where she was from, Coyoacan, her house, where she was born and died in the same house. I mean, she ended up living there at her death, too. She would look, blow on a window pane and do a little circle, and O, and then she would, in her mind, step through it into a garden and there she encountered a little girl who did not speak but understood everything that she was saying and she would tell this little girl all of her feelings and thoughts and then after she and she felt very much not alone anymore and then she would exit by the little hole and come back and feel a great sense of peace. <laughs> and she always said that she did so many self-portraits because she was the only not one who knew who she was. My son, that was very interesting. My, my son had imaginary friends that lived in the park. We had a little park where I used to live. Uh-huh. I loved the names of his imaginary friends. They were Betty, Betty Lewis, <laughs> first name Betty, middle name Betty, and Jet... And also he named every one of his stuffed animals Jet. <laughs> I and, have a dog named Jet. And Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson. So um, those were Was his. that before or after the graduate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's very creative. Remember. Well, my brother, I think I mentioned it in a previous uh, podcast, maybe had an imaginary friend named Tom William. And Tom William ate dinner with us. My, parents just went along with it tom william has a motorcycle tom (laughs) william you know and tom william i still ask my brother today how's tom william he said i guess he's okay (laughs) my son had kirby my oldest son and the the way our lives worked i took jeremy to daycare in the morning and jimmy picked him up in the afternoon because he got off earlier where i could have the option of going in later you know, buckle Jeremy in, and Jimmy's starting to pull out of the parking lot, and Jeremy screams, start the car. So Jimmy slams on the brake. What's wrong? He goes, Kirby had hold of the, the Kirby was outside, had hold of the door handle, and was running alongside. <laughs> so he'd stop, open the door, <laughs> let Kirby in, and go, those imaginary friends are real. Let me They're tell you. pretty powerful. And maybe, yeah, maybe that's something we should write down in our journals. Well, when we were talking about that we would um, be doing a podcast on journals, I was sort of 
wondering what on earth I would say, so I wrote a little something in defense of not having a journal. Okay, Gail, go for it. I'd like to read it. (laughs) I find my, and I use this term loosely, diaries everywhere. I can't manage to put these in one spot, one journal, one notebook, although I have been gifted with many notebooks with interesting and beautiful covers that call to me. I resist. I find scraps of paper with deep thoughts and musing written in the early morning when my creative thoughts are rested and ready to wander. These bits of scribbles are everywhere. When I find them, I have absolutely no idea what is meant in my pen's meandering. I truly wish I could adopt the habit of keeping the notebook as my memories slip through my fingers like sand. Doesn't that sound beautiful? It Salman does. Rushdie said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's quite a good writer. <laughs> I know I'd be a better writer if I would only organize my thoughts in one tome. In my defense, I suffer from over-organization skills. If I organize m- one more thing, I'm going to have to go into counseling. Also, I've started incessant hand-washing with the mean virus on the prowl. There we go. Soon I'll be hounding lean cuisine tr- hoarding lean cuisine trays. As a sidebar, I'll say that my sock drawer is amazingly organized. I can tell blue from black in an instant. Call me if you need some advice on this. <laughs> Simply contained by hours of the day, something I have to let go. My vanity drawers aren't organized, for example, and I confess I do not journal. Our mystic Mary is a ferocious journaler. I wonder what she lets slide. I'm going to ask her. That's almost a poem, Gail. That's great. You really should make that into a poem. That's wonderful. But you do journal because you have bits of paper everywhere. And I think it's just... A journal does not have to be organized. I was looking up, how do you journal? And Steinbeck, he journaled by after every day, he would just write down his progress on his novels. And that was his journaling. Um, Yes, but Joanne, when I find my little pieces of paper, I don't know what they mean. And that is what Joan Didion said. She has no (laughs) earthly idea of what they meant. It's like writing down your dreams, you know. It's like, golly, that was a great dream. What does it mean? But another one, and this reminded me of Mary, was for all you techies out there who want to journal, said, tweet just a short line to yourself every day. Mm. And then at the end of a week or at the end of a month or at the end of the year, take all those tweets and write them out. He said they're poetry. So some just odd ways of doing it. A real stream of consciousness. Yeah, just a string of consciousness, which Margie journaled on a pizza box coming back from Atlanta one time. (laughs) So stream of consciousness. Or try choosing one moment from your day to write in a journal, just one moment. But I think the more interesting journal is what we're talking about with Joan Didion, and that is something where you just see something you hear a phrase, um, you see a person dressed, and you write that down for later use, possibly in some writing. What I do is when I hear something, um, I go immediately home and write a short story. And whatever I was planning to do before that. Oh, that's I, a good idea. And I think I told you about my friend that I used to swim with in the morning, Sheila. 
um, told me about a funeral she went to where um, the guy uh, stood up and talked about his fu- his friend's fun- his friend that was being funeralized, whose funeral it Buried. was, and he said, we shared everything. We even married the same woman. And so I immediately went home and wrote one of my favorite stories ever just because of that little bit. But honestly, when I... Dancing across the river sticks. I remember it well. It was memorable. (laughs) Well, you know, another thing about keeping a journal or a diary, I mean, and they are different and they can be different. If you're keeping like a diary of your most private thoughts, you always run the risk of somebody reading them. (laughs) And I know that I did a, a... a presentation one time on on journals and the artists that I included were Leonardo da Vinci of course his famous notebooks Frida Kahlo and then Delacroix and Delacroix the painter 19th century painter romantic started his saying I'm writing this very honestly because no one will ever read it uh oh <laughs> uh oh <laughs> have you ever had that experience Margie yes I have um, I was telling w- before we started the story of one time when I was in grad school, my car was stolen from my studio on 6th Street. And it was an old, like, 1964 Plymouth. I couldn't imagine someone stole it. I thought it had been impounded. And then the sheriff from some county in North Georgia called me and said, we've got your car and we've captured the thieves because the car broke down and we got them. And we've, <laughs> I want you to come up here because we all want to meet you. We've been reading your journal. <laughs> And my journal was in my trunk. And it was my drawings and my, you know, my most intimate thoughts and um, poetry that I was trying to write. And when I walked into the jail, they went, now look here, young man, this is the woman you stole from. (laughs) She writes so beautifully. And they were, I was so embarrassed because, you know, (laughs) but I didn't want to say, how dare you? (laughs) Because they did have my car. Um, it was the starter was all messed up. But anyway, I got my, but anyway, so. Did they fix your starter? No. They didn't. I had to have it towed somewhere back to Atlanta, but um, that was really a little bit depressing. <laughs> well, they say there is a difference, though, between a diary and a journal. Now, I have kept many a diary, and you're right. If anybody to ever find those things, and oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you know it. Especially now that I plan on running for president. But <laughs> I, Don't let it worry you. You haven't been grabbing anything you shouldn't have you. No, <laughs> you know, um, if y'all remember the last time we met or the last month's Mystic Meeting, I read to y'all a, a, t- a story about David Diamond from my diary. Oh, right. Where right. Oh, I, had, I love that story. I had fallen in love at junior high school age with... David Diamond. Mrs. David Diamond. Mrs. And David I, Diamond. <laughs> I wrote his name in my diary in my, I had an ink pen that you could put different color cartridges in and I chose lavender. Of course. And I That's wrote right. his name over and over and over in my diary. But yeah. like like Gail said, a diary is a book that you record the events of the day. But a journal may be used to explore different ideas, I think, you know, as far as testing the waters or having those little bits that just make um, things, you know, so wonderful to write about. Because we don't always, I mean, real writing, good writing, you catch a voice. And lots of times it's hard to do mm-hmm. unless you hear that voice elsewhere. It's almost like a language. I think the interesting thing in that Joan Didion uh, essay was that 
they brought back her little writings brought back whole scenes to her yes that she created and she also said that she didn't know that she ever wrote the truth because whenever she told a story she told it as she remembered it and Friends and family would say, well, that didn't happen. That's true, no matter what. Right. You so, can, you know, but th- oh, that's yeah. what she was saying. She always had this imagination that went along with whatever she observed. What do you remember Katie's poem about she and her sister, about having oh, right. the different memories? You know, I think it goes, you know, and there was the cat. What cat? I don't remember a cat. And, you know, and oh, that was in my book. Yeah. Bright Illuminations, yeah. Yeah. And so she. You know, even in the same families, looking at the same thing, you do have different memories. But you're right. The journal parts of it would bring back ideas. But then there's where the fiction would take in and there is where the imagination would take in. Um, I think Marion, although I don't know that she specifically takes, has a journal, but she, she must have a wonderful memory because a lot of her writing starts... With Jernigan, way. Alabama. Well, in Jernigan, and they're her memories. Yeah. They're her memories. Yeah. Little often, bits of this and that. I do wonder, and um, I'll be reading another writer who has wonderful memories, even of dresses their mothers made them when they were seven. And, oh, yeah. And I cannot remember. Salman Rushdie said something about that. I'm going to read it to you. Never forget that writing is as close as we can get to keeping a hold of the 1,001 things. Childhood, certainties, cities, doubts, dreams, phrases, parents, loves, that go on slipping like sand through our fingers. Yeah, and and that is true in our memories. And Lord knows, I always say that your mind gets so full of stuff when you're our age that it starts falling out of your ears. And so I forget probably more than I've ever known. If I can't remember it, I just make it up. Well, well, there you go. That's why we're fiction writers. Yeah, my, my friend Carol said, you know, you might as well make it interesting. <laughs> you know, right. If the truth isn't that Absolutely. interesting, just elaborate. Absolutely, and who knows? Uh, who knows? Mary did send us um, a little quote from uh, Melville on writing Moby Dick. Ah. Did y'all read that? No. Uh, I'll, I'll read you a bit of that. One often hears of writers that rise and swell with their subject, though it may seem but an ordinary one. How then, with me, writing of this Leviton, I guess that's Moby Dick. That's Moby Dick, uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Unconsciously, my choreography expands into place card capitals. Give me a condor's quill. Give me a Vesuvius crater for an inkstand. Friends, hold my arms, for in the mere act of pinning my thoughts of this levitan, they weary me and make me faint with their outreaching comprehensiveness of sweep, as if to include the whole circle of sciences and all the generations of whales and men and mastodons past, present, and to come with all the revolving panoramas of empire on earth and throughout the whole universe, not excluding its suburbs. Such and so magnifying is the virtue of a large and liberal theme. We expand to its bulk. To produce a mighty book, you must choose a mighty theme. No great enduring volume can ever be written on the flea, though many there be who have tried it. Say what? And that sounds just like Melville. Doesn't it? <laughs> you know he, he can wrote do that. a long sentence. <laughs> he can. <laughs> Say what? She loves me there. <laughs> well, he just kept on thinking. <laughs> he was writing, and it just you know, if you're writing about whales and sailing and 
conquering. Yes, I know. Like I said, it sounded just just like him. Do have any of you ever done the artist way? I've you read know, it. Have you read it? Did you do it though? Did you? Go I can't remember. I you, where you have to. I do should have journaled about it. <laughs> you should have. And that is the point that I'm coming to. Um, part of the artist way is you do the morning papers. And they are somewhat of journaling. It's really a mind dump just kind of to free your mind of all those little trivial things, which probably is more like a diary. But it is a form of journaling, but it's, um, it's not catching those little bits. I guess you could treat it as, as such, but it's not usually catching those little bits. But it is something you do every day. I take it you did not do. You read you read the book, but you did not do the exercises. You read the book, too, didn't you? Yeah, I've read the book. I didn't do the exercises yeah. every day. Well, another uh, um, art artist, cartoonist, Linda Berry, if you know her, she taught this great class, and I would recommend it to everybody. It's called Syllabus. And one of the things she had her students do was, I mean, it was her syllabus for this, and she combined art students, cartoonists, and medical students, and writers, and, and all medical these, students? Yes. And wow. she gave all of her classes names of the brain, parts of the brain like amygdala. They chose a name. It wasn't their <laughs> real name. And anyway, that was just part of their creativity. But every day in their journal, they were only supposed to take 10 minutes. And they wrote like what they saw, what they heard, what they did. Oh, yes. And then do a little drawing of it. It was just an X. And they just don't take more than 10 minutes. Just do it. And then she would have them do cartoons from that. So they answered to the name of a part of the brain? Uh-huh. Yeah, they didn't use their own names. They just, you know, part of the brain or part of the body. But, um, you know, like a gland or something, you know, I'm thyroid. This so is gland. totally a whacked out thought about all this. Oh, she is this. very, she is cry. <laughs> if you've never read her cartoons. No, what I mean is I was going to tell you something that's whacked out that this reminds me of. Yeah, it yeah. was an Auburn University guy who went to I think Korea, Japan, and was teaching school, and he named everyone in his class something Auburn, like one of the kids was named Aubie, and one of them was <laughs> named Pat Dye. And one was named Cam Newton. <laughs> yes, Cam yes. Newton. And they would start their morning doing Auburn cheers, and um, then he'd call roll Cam Newton here, you know, War Eagle here, Auburn Tiger here. He didn't get homesick that way. <laughs> did you Did you see that? I did. It was hilarious. <laughs> Well, back to Margie. So I did that for a while, Margie. You had given me, I think you had told us about that, what you saw, what you heard, and then just a a little sketch. I always got bogged down on the sketching because even though Margie is trying to teach us how to draw, I'm still struggling with it. But that is, again, that's just a great way, just like the journal, to spark your brain, Mm -hmm. you know, and to get just a jumping off point. I can see that that would be, you know, something else. And I think, I bet you Marion has done this. She just seems like the type is, I have kept every letter that I have ever received. Oh my Whoa. goodness. I know. So I has just, Tom Westmoreland and he has them in alphabetical order. Well, I can't say I'm that organized, but, but they, when I go back and read them, they're like reading journals. Cause you know, you don't necessarily put out your most intimate thoughts in a letter, usually it's, you know, starting out, you're Joanne, I'm fine, how are you? That now, re- the person that does your estate sale is going to hate you. I know. Well, I'll probably burn them before <laughs> then. I know I might get hit by a bus going home today, but just know that, well, Jimmy Campbell burned them. 
Well, that was a way of really communicating, you know, back in our parents' day and oh, even sure. before, because they didn't call each other on the phone. And I know my mother used to sit and read us her sister's letters from Kentucky, and then do you still my, have these? my aunt D? I have. Well, what I did find, my sister and I found all of my dad's letters home to my grandmother during World War II See, when he was wonderful. in France, and it's where he met my mother. And he, in his letters, he says. You know, dear, dear mama, I've met a, a very swell girl. <laughs> She's a nurse that I met when I was recovering the hospital. Her name is Loretta. And it was like my parents' courtship. And then, the, and I may have mentioned this before, but during the war, my father, when he was in France, he adopted a dog and the dog was with him and he named the dog Ted and his name is Ted. And I think it was quite odd. He named his dog after himself. Maybe he thought the dog would survive. Well, my, my father raised uh, field trial dogs, pointers, uh -huh. and every one of them was named Ranger. He could have eight dogs, uh -huh. and they're all Ranger. And I'm thinking maybe if you called them, they'd all come. I'm sure. Yeah. But I don't Ranger. know if they were Ranger one or two because I wasn't alive well, at that well, time. Well, who's the boxer that named all his kids? Oh you know, yeah, that, that does was the uh, John Foreman, not John yeah, Foreman. Foreman girl. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. all of them are named. What's his first? Was it? What's his first name? John? No, no. it's not John. No, George. George. They're, they're all named George. George. They're all named exactly. George. That's right. George. George, George Foreman. George. Yeah. Uh, that is. Anyway, but the letter writing, I do, I do remember. I remember my mother and my aunt had beautiful handwriting. And it was so interesting to see their, you know, see most the of the writing you see from from before that time. My grandfather's writing's beautiful, mm -hmm. but they had to have beautiful writing when they were in school. They were trained. Now you can don't have to do anything but well, type. But <laughs> I can still go back and the, talking about handwriting. I think there is something, and this may be a mystic moment. There is something mystical to me about somebody's handwriting. Oh, yeah. I just think that there is something very special. I have done cookbooks, for example, for my sons when they were going off. And um, if I could, I would always include uh, a recipe written in my grandmother's handwriting or my mother-in-law's handwriting or my mother's handwriting, just, you know, photocopied to um, let them have that. Because I think there is something very sweet and very, I don't know, just there's some power in there somewhere. I just missed really, moment. It's how they used moment. to analyze people's personalities. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And I think that there is a lot to be said of that. Like Gail writing with her purple pen. That's right. Her lavender. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. I can have good ran writing for about five minutes and then it gets into the sloppy. Well, and, and the the other point of that story, of course, I wondered, was um, that most of the records, especially when you go back into... Gosh, just the 1900s. A lot of records were handwritten. I'm doing a little genealogy All now, and I records. can't tell you how <laughs> yeah. many. Well, they may be on a form that was printed, but a lot of the records, yeah, I've, I've searched deeds that have been entirely handwritten. I found a deed in an estate sale last year that was like 1834, and wow. it was from... Um, England. I, I'm trying to think the town. And usually people will buy these beautiful handwritten things and make them into found art. And it was just a shame if that had happened. It talked about the land he owned. and mm -hmm. So I mailed it to that town to their, what I thought was their archives, but it wasn't. It was a museum. 
but the archivist for the town got it and he wrote me back. And I just wrote, oh, I'm nice. sending this to you. I didn't realize it was going to cost me $14 for this good deed, but it did. I'm sending this to you because if I sold it, someone would turn it into art and it would be a shame. So the archivist wrote me back. We received this. Um, we're so glad to have it. The only other copy is in London. Wow. And um, he says it... it it's a shame. It would have been a shame to make this into found art. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I could remember where I mailed this this to in England, but I can't. I didn't journal it. I should have journaled it. Yeah. Well, there you we know, I, the thing I noticed, too, about my journals, I mean, I do this extensive journals, but how often do I ever go back and look at them? I hardly ever do. You know, and I, in a great, in, in a clean up or clean out, I will go back and look at some of my journals um, and or diaries for that part, but yeah, you're right. You hardly, I think you hardly do. I wonder if ca- it's Joan kind of the it. process more than the product. I think. I think you know, it is that, too. That you you do that for that time. Well, I'm glad you to have, hear that. I don't have to journal if we don't go back. Well, I mean, I still have, have mine. I have the product. <laughs> yeah, I just don't ever look at it. Go, yes, but Margie, what good is it having if you don't use well, it? I it's like your sterling it, silver. If it's it with all my other if the sterling <laughs> silver's in the attic, it's doing you no good. <laughs> Here's a quote for you. It says, like cilantro or Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> writing a journal is simply not for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Everyone, yes. <laughs> I, I want to do a, a quote. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, it's from David Sedaris. I have oh, two I quotes of his. I love him. Said, I guess in my diary, I'm not afraid of being boring. It's not my job to entertain anyone in my diary. <laughs> and then the second one says, I've been keeping a diary for 33 years. And write in it every morning. Most of it's just whining. But every so often there's been something I can use later. A joke, a description, a quote. It's an invaluable aid when it comes to winning an argument. Ah. You can say, that's not what you said on February 3rd, 1996. <laughs> 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 and there, Gail, is your reason for keeping a journal. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, can I read my uh, Billy Collins poem journal? Because yeah. I yes, think it's very please. apt for our subject. Uh, so this is, he's describing his journal. Ledger of my head's, head's transactions, log of the body's voyage. It rides all day in a raincoat pocket, ready to admit any droplet of thought, nut of maxim, narrowest squint of an observation. It goes with me to a gallery where I opened it to record a note on red and the birthplace of Corot into the tube of an airplane so I can take down the high dictation of clouds or on a hike in the woods where a young hawk might suddenly fly between its covers. And when my heart is beating too rapidly in the dark, I will go downstairs in a robe open it up to a blank page and try to settle on the blue lines, whatever it it is that seems to be the matter. Net I tow beneath the waves of day, giant ball of string or royal. It holds whatever I uncap my pen to save, a snippet of catalyst, a passage from Camus, a tiny eulogy for the evening antidine of gin, a note on what the kingfisher looks like when he swims. And there is a room, and there's room in the margins for the pencil to go lazy and daydream in circles and figure eights or produce some illustrations like Leonardo in his famous codex, 
room for a flying machine, an action of a funnel, a nest of pulleys, and a device that turned by water. Room for me to draw a few of, few of my own contraptions, inventions so original and so visionary that not even I, genius of the new age, have the slightest idea of what they're for. <laughs> I just thought that's a really great poem really about is. a journal. Yes. And he thinks he's the genius of the new age. Well, he's being his usual kind of self-deprecating self <laughs> because that's how he writes. Yeah. Know, always with that kind of edge of edge of criticism for himself or of self-realization. You know. Well, and but I think what he's saying is that, you know, the that that's journaling is a way to be able to look into yourself and see how you're developing or see what, what I don't comes see on the down the difference the light. in journaling and diarying. They, I think you can just totally combine them and not worry about well, it. Well, I do too. I don't think you have to define it or not. I think some people, like those, the man that Mary sent us, and I didn't write down his name, that had to write down every five minutes what he did. I mean, yes. he was just as obsessive, yeah. compulsive. He was hypergraphic. Hypergraphic, yeah. yes. You know, that would be kind of drive you insane. The yeah. only thing similar to this that I've ever done is I used to keep a list of favorite words from things I was reading, mm. words I wanted to use again, favorite phrases. I just finished reading uh, the library book, which is all about the Los Angeles Central Library that was um, a victim of, of arson. And um, I wrote down my favorite phrase from it and left it at home, and I couldn't tell you what it is right now if I had to. But what's <laughs> Which the book is why again? you journal. Huh? What, what is the book again? That sounds like it's, a fascinating book. It's, well, I'll certainly lend it to you. It's a library book, and uh -huh. it's about the Central, which is a library in uh, downtown L.A., and they it was in a beautiful old building, and um, the author of this book is guessing about the arsonist. They arrested this guy over and over several times and his story kept changing, mm -hmm. but they never did convict him of setting this fire, but it was about freezing the books and fixing the books and all the people. Loomis was the most famous of the librarians and his home is now a museum. Anyway, that's what I just finished reading and I wrote down this phrase was about a lot of homeless people coming to the library. And mm -hmm. at the end of the book, when the library is repaired, this author is in that library and helping. And they have, I think they're identifying homeless people that come in and how they can help them in other ways. And the quote, which I absolutely can't remember, is about how she's a little afraid of homeless people because she's wary of what the possibilities are and what they might do. Yeah. And I thought, that's so true. Like set fire to the library. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the guy Maybe that, accidentally. The guy that did it, or, or, or is said to, thought to have done it, was not homeless. He was an aspiring actor that was full of himself and, mm -hmm. uh, and must have been a wonderful liar because everyone that knew him said, well, he just lies about everything. <laughs> and some people <laughs> would rather lie. So w they would rather lie when the truth would serve them better. Well, you so. must know that from being an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably get that daily. I do. I tell Do your clients just lie to you all the time? All the time. And I tell them if you're going to lie to somebody, lie to the police. I've s often said this, that if more of my clients were Catholic and would go and confess to a, a priest instead of to the police, 
we would have a better time as a defense attorney. <laughs> My son was born with a condition called extropia, where your eye goes out. Mm-hmm. And I think when he got in the third or fourth grade, we decided to have it fixed because his classmates started noticing it. But before that, if he told a lie, I would go straight out. My sister had the same condition. Would, would, would that happen to her if yes. she told a lie? Or if we got her very, very excited about something. We used to get her giggling and laughing about and something just eye, to watch her eye go well, out. We, shouldn't have, so sorry, Arlene. we should have waited we through his teenage years before we had it fixed. But here we go. <laughs> perfect getaway. Perfect getaway. Well, for those who want to start, I, there's lots all sorts of things that they say you can do as far as starting a journal. And this one intrigued me. It was called Keywords. And it said, if you don't like to write a journal, say, hey, you know, if you're a writer by profession and say, I spend all my day writing, that's the last thing I want to do is to have an assignment. It said, think about one word that would describe the last 48 or 24 hours and just write that down. Mm, and there's a there was a, a way, a cloud app that you can get to go and tell you how many times you use that word in the last year or the last two years. And I think that would be very interesting. Yeah, that could be a mystic assignment. That could be a mystical moment. Have have we speaking of mystical moments, have we mentioned that we're nearing the end of season two? This is on the next to last podcast. I don't think we've mentioned of that. season two. And I, our next one that we will be broadcasting is uh, podcasting is on what? Walking, walk on the wild side. Oh, we're going to walk on the wild side, and that's that's our last podcast before we take a much needed break. And the reason we need to take a much needed break is you can't get six women together easily. Many times. Well, and we we have let because journaling has been so much darn fun. We have let our own journaling or our podcasting rather has been so much darn fun. We've let our own journaling and writing kind of go by the way. Well, wayside. this is journaling. This is you're right. This is journaling. And we can go back and check this for facts. This is mystic, yeah, mystic journaling right here. Because I, I would like to check a fact with you right now. You kept telling us in one po- podcast that we did at the bookstore that your life was a marble and I've I've thought about that you said it twice because I edited it and I thought my life isn't a marble she my must life is small as a marble I run into people all the time from all over the world that oh, the I size have of a marble the size, the size of, of a marble, marble. <laughs> six and degrees of separation oh, on, for Joanne. I was gonna say <laughs> come on Gail yeah there's three I she's lost her marbles I, I thought it was degrees. I thought she meant to say marvel Oh. oh, my life is a marvel, but she couldn't pronounce it, so she said marble. No, she said and the Gail, size. I think she said the size of a marble. No, she didn't. Oh, she I said it is a marble. She said my so life marble, is a marble, and she big. said it twice. The first time I thought she means marble, and the second time I thought Joanne didn't know how to pronounce marble. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you remember that children's show was called The Big Big, big blue, blue Marble? marble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about the world. That about the that world. must have been. You were a child when I was. You know, probably dating a Sigma Nu and going uh, to parties. We won't go there. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I wish that m- the rest of the mystics had I been here to, to share their, you know, fabulous insights into this subject. But I think we've managed to carry on okay. Well, Joanne, do you, can you tell us where... Our loving and adoring audience can find us. Our loving and and adoring audience can find us at 
at any of your podcast carriers at the Mystic Order Podcast. And if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. We're on Facebook. Just come find us at the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers. It says we love to get mail from you. We'd love to um, hear from you to let us know whether you're enjoying the podcast or not. And we're, no, don't tell us if you don't enjoy it. We don't care. That's right. But, <laughs> or if you have just a burning topic that you would want us to talk about, we'll be glad to do that. That's a dangerous thing to invite the, the public. To we don't or if you'd to like to them. be on our podcast for season three, let us know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. What an invite. That's right. That's right. Well, do y'all want to mention a mystic moment before we sign off? We can, or I can give you one more quote, and I love this one. Barbara Eulen, if you want to write, and I think the mystics have read that book. It's a book that was written on writing in 1938 and then republished in 1987 and is still very to date, if you will. And she says, keep a slovenly, headlong, impulsive diary. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to start that. Thank you, Brenda Yulin. <laughs> <laughs> well, out there, I want you to remember, be, be the, the flame, flame, not, not the, the moth. moth.